Thank you. It's not uh, something that's expected or needed, but it is appreciated. A little bit of encouragement goes a long way. Um, so as we were talking with our children, right, that we are all part of the body of Christ if we are a believer in Jesus. And if we are a believer in Jesus, the Bible tells us that we are a family. And the family has a head, and the head's name is Jesus. Just as the family has a body, and the head is Jesus himself. But that means that everyone, every part of us, is so important. And so if we have a puzzle, as we show the children, and a piece is missing. How many of you like to make jigsaw puzzles? Any of you like to do it? I know my daughter, my kids like to make jigsaw puzzles. And um, so, you know, you make puzzle. This one's a big one, of course. It's easier for children. Um, and it's, it includes pictures of you and of our church family. Uh, but sometimes you get a 500-piece puzzle, right? And you work really hard. You spend months on it. You get to the very end, and a piece is missing. Has that ever happened to you? Many times, many times, right? How do you feel at that time? How do you feel? Robbed, all right? How else do you feel? Disappointed. How else do you feel? Depressed. Confused. Okay, lots of feelings, right? And so that's what it's like. You may not know it. You may not even think about it. But if you're missing, other people may feel that way. You may think, ah, I'm just one person. It doesn't matter. But you do matter, just like that puzzle. That one missing piece makes a huge difference. When the puzzle doesn't have that piece, it's incomplete. Literally, objectively, it is not whole. But not only that, it feels bad, doesn't it? It just feels weird. It feels like I haven't done everything that I need to do. I need to find that peace. I need to be in that puzzle. God wants us to know that we fit perfectly into the family of God. He's made each one of us like that puzzle piece so that we will know that everybody needs everybody. Always. There's never a time that you're not needed. And so we're looking at our scriptures today. And I want to read for us the first three verses, uh, verses 14. I'm sorry, the first four verses, verses 14 through 17. You can follow along in your outline or you can open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We have some Bibles there on the middle. If somebody wants to reach down from the middle and just pass them to the outside. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that one home. It's for you. Uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 17. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Is that right? Did I, have a, did I, did I write it wrong? Anyway, you know what it means. Okay. It's like, wait a minute. 
I typed that out weird. Okay, so, but God has made us, all right? I've read this like multiple times this week, and the first time I was like, huh? All right, but God has made us to be whole, all right? And so our first point is this. God has made us to be belonging to each other. Therefore, what does it look like objectively in a church? And what does it feel like when the church does what God wants us to do? It means that we will not exclude anyone. We will not exclude anyone. No matter what their reasons may be, that they may not be as comfortable to you, we will not exclude them. Because everyone belongs together. All of us have a need for belonging. All of us have a desire to belong. And the Bible tells us there in verse 16, I belong to the body. The eye belongs to the ear. The ear belongs to the eye. It's all part of the whole body. In Romans 12, 14 through 13, you have, you have that verse there on your outline. Would you read it out loud with me? Romans 12, verses um, 4 and 5. I'm sorry. Let's read it together. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other. We belong as a body of Christ. We are siblings in Jesus. And God has made us so that not only would we belong but that we would accept the role that we have and we would accept the roles that other people have and we would not compare ourselves to everyone else or to anyone else. Do you struggle with that? You don't have to nod your head or say anything. But be honest with yourself. Do you compare yourself to other people at other times? Do you ever wish you were more like somebody else? And when you think about it, what is that something else that you wish you had that they didn't have or that they have? What is it that you compare yourself to somebody else or you think they're better than you? Well, it's not true. No one is better than you. But neither are you better than somebody else. We are not to compare ourselves because everybody has mutual significance. Everyone has mutual significance. Paul makes it sort of obvious. It's like, of course, you know, the hand, right? The hand is not the foot. That's obvious. But he's also saying that it would be absurd for the hand to say, well, since I'm not a foot, I don't want to be part of the body. You know, I don't like the foot, so I don't want to be part of this body. That's, that doesn't work. We are to accept each other because each part is significant. Now, what happens when siblings begin to compare themselves to each other? Or what ha- Maybe you grew up in this type of home. Um, you have a brother or sister who's really good at something, and your mom or dad goes, you know, hey, how come you're not like them? How come you're not like them? Right? You know, siblings, when that happens, what happens? It creates sibling rivalries. It creates where people are comparing to each other, and then it becomes part of your DNA. And then what happens when you have kids? Well, you do the same thing. Right? How come you're not like your sister? How come you're not like your brother? That only causes conflicts. It creates competition. And God doesn't want that in the body of Christ. We don't compare ourselves to one another. We accept 
each other. We don't exclude one another because we all belong. Nobody likes to be treated like a nobody. We are to treat each other as important. And then Paul says in verse 17, you know, what would happen if the whole body were an eye? What would happen if the whole body were an ear? Right? If the whole body were an eye, you wouldn't be able to hear. If the whole body were an ear, you wouldn't be able to see. And Paul, I think, is saying this with a bit of a humor. Right? It's like, it's sort of be gross, right? If we walk around and, and Ben is just a great big ear walking around and Alfred's a great big apple walking around. You know, what would it be like if, if we were just this one big thing? Right? God has made us that we all have similar body parts that are different. And we all look very unique. Nobody looks alike here as much as you might think we all do. That God <laughs> has made us to be different. Right? God has made us so that we have a unique function and we belong to each other. Well, secondly, verses 18 through 21. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We need each other. We need and we are interdependent. We are not to be independent. So what does it look like when the church is acting the way it's supposed to act and be the way it's supposed to be? It is dependent upon each other. It is interdependent and no one acts independently. God wants you and me to accept our part, whatever part God's given to us. God's given you a special place in the body. We may not understand it. You may wish that you were smarter. You may wish that you were prettier. You may wish you were taller. You may wish that you were shorter. You may wish whatever you want. But God made you that way. And you're special just the way you are. And he sovereignly decided to do that. Why? We may not know. We have weaknesses. We have fleshly problems. But God has made us this way. And we are to accept our part as the will of God. God made me. And I will accept my role in this body. But just as importantly, we will accept others as their part in the body of Christ. As that being the will of God for them and for me. God has put us together. God has melted us to be one. God has made us that we might be a body that shares together, that grows together, that uses our gifts together. Though we don't all have the same gifts and though our gifts may at times seem to be in conflict, they are not meant to be that way because we are interdependent upon each other. In Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 13, we read more about the gifts that God has given to the body of Christ. And, and these are just some of the gifts. They're not all of them. Um, last week, we looked at some of the gifts in, Romans chap in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, before the verses we just read today. Today, we'll look at some more just briefly in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through not 8. And I'll read it, and you can follow along. And it says there, we have different gifts 
according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And this describes many of you. Many of you have these gifts. Many of you have a gift of serving. You like to help other people. You just sort of like to be there when there's a need. If somebody says, can somebody help me do something? You'll say, yes, I'll try. Some of you have the gift of teaching. You enjoy teaching God's word. You enjoy teaching the principles of truth to other people. Many of you have a gift of encouragement. You know how to help each other. You know how to bless each other. You know how to lift up somebody else so that they want to do something so that otherwise, other than otherwise they would do. Some of you have a gift of giving and of contributing. You'd like to be able to give and you'd like to be generous. Some of you are called to be leaders, and you enjoy leading. You be, enjoy being in that role where you get to serve other people by being a servant leader and helping to guide a direction and listen to God's will. In which case then, the Bible says, then let you govern diligently. Be diligent in what you do. You know, if you're a worker, if you're a leader, be diligent. Be faithful. Some of you know how to show mercy to each other. You know how to care. You know how to weep with those who weep. You know how to rejoice with those who rejoice, as is part of our verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But God wants you to use whatever gift you have in a way that serves the body of Christ. Whatever puzzle piece you have, you are part of the whole. And God wants you to use that gift. And it must be where you use it interdependently, as I must use it interdependently with one another. And with you. Now, those are the gifts. But now in verse 9, we read about the spirit of unity. We read about the spirit of interdependence. You know, the Bible talks about spiritual gifts, but the Bible also talks about spiritual fruits. We don't have time to talk about the spiritual fruits, but those are also fruits, those are attitudes. Those are character traits. That's the integrity of a person. So not only do we have a way, a gift, an objective means to serve, we also have a subjective attitude that we need to have. I mean, kids, you know, like, you, know you might do something right. Your parents may say, you know, clean your room. But if you have a really bad attitude, they may say to you, you know, well, you know, fix your attitude as well. Don't just clean your room. Clean up your attitude. Now, it's not just what you do. It's how you do it. Right? It's not just one or the other. You know, I remember in school, you could get grades. I don't know if they still do it. Do they still do it where you get a, a, a letter grade, but then you also get an attitude grade, right? You know, so when I was in school, you would get a letter grade. You know, if you might get an, an A or a B in math, but then they also had citizenship things. You know, it's like, what was, it, what was his attitude? Was he a hard worker? Did he try? Did he work with his friends in school? I remember my parents would focus so much more on the attitude than on the grades, because they said, you know, you can't always control how smart you are, but you can always control how hard you work. You can always control your attitude. You can always be nice, even though you can't always be smart. And so my parents taught me that you can always work hard, even if you're not the most important part of that body. You can always give more than what's expected. You can always do that which other people don't want to do. You can always go beyond the call of duty. 
You can give of your best and you can do, even if you don't feel like it. You know, you may not feel like working. You may not feel like doing your homework, but your teacher doesn't care, right? You know, you're going to get the grade whether, you know, that you, you deserve. So you better do the homework. But if you have a good attitude, right, it makes it a lot more fun. And we need to understand that that's the way God wants it to be in the church as well. It's our attitude. And it's the effort that we put forward in what we do. And so we read that in verses 9 through 13 of Romans. And you have it there on your outline. Uh, Would you read it with me together? Let's read it out loud. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Everything here, all of us can do. These, aren't, these are not the gifts of the Spirit. These are like the fruits of the Spirit. We can all love. We can all be devoted to each other. We can all honor each other. We can show respect to each other. We can all show zeal. We can work hard no matter how we feel. We can keep a spiritual fervor by seeking the Lord and serving the Lord. You know, sometimes you say, I don't feel like serving God because I don't feel spiritually strong. But one of the things that the principle here is saying is that if you want to feel spiritually strong, just begin serving the Lord. So if we wait for the feeling to come, we may never do it. But if we obey the scripture and we do what it says here in serving God and serving other people and being part of the body of Christ, our spiritual fervor will begin to warm up. We can be joyful in hope. We can be patient. Everybody has affliction. We can be patient in that. We can be faithful in prayer. These are things everybody can do. You don't need to have special gifts to do these things. It's an innate and inborn gift of God to be able to fulfill each of these responsibilities as a member of the body of Christ. You know, we've been talking about these 40 days of prayer, and we're in the beginning of the third week right now. And the reason why we've put this together is so that we as a body of Christ might all be praying together about God's will, about a seeking of a building. And and there's a lot of different opinions about the building that we're looking at right now. And and actually, right now, there's not a lot we can do about it because it's still all in the owner's court. We're waiting to hear back from the owner about what he really wants to do with this building. Does he really want to sell it or not? But if we've been going through it, I've been hearing lots of different opinions. And people are just telling me what they think. And, And not all of it is the same. But I have to learn to listen. And one of the things that I have to learn to do is to pray and to learn how to ask God for his will. And as I've been sharing with you, we're not asking God for a specific building. We're asking God for his building. What does he want for us? See, we are a church. A building is not the church. And if we begin to think that this building is the church, we will have many different conflicts. We will have many different opinions. But if we remember that we are the church, wherever we go, we're the church. Doesn't matter if we meet here at the senior center, we meet out in the park, we meet over at the grocery store. We are the church wherever we go. 
And we bring with us who we are, and that's what's so important, not where we are. And God would have us to pray, and that's why we're asking you to pray, to be praying for God's will, to be praying for unity, be praying that we would act and be excited about God's spirit, to be spiritually strong so that we can be the church that God wants us to be. God wants us to be interdependent upon each other and care for each other. If you're part of the puzzle and you don't like what the rest of the puzzle is doing, you decide to leave, then you mess up the whole. But if you stay and you work through the things that are difficult, you learn to care for each other, you learn to show respect to each other, we learn to do this, we learn to care we learn to live out that everybody needs everybody. Then we begin to experience what it means to be the church that God wants us to be. And we begin to feel the things that God wants us to feel. I mean, what does it feel like when you're really honored? Have you ever been honored in something? I mean, doesn't that just feel good? You get a thank you note from somebody. Somebody pats you on the back. Somebody says you did a good job. What's it like to be respected? You know, as a man, as a husband, you can talk about roles. Okay, we're going to talk about that on Friday at Couples Garden. And there's, Carol knows, there's nothing I want more than respect. I mean, you can, you can not feed me a good, di- a good dinner, but you do it nicely, I'll be okay. All right? You know, it's respect that's just high on my list of what's important. And honor. I want to be honored. You know, my dad's name is Tim. And um, I always remember this. It's one of the few things I remember from Greek. Well, the Greek word in, in um, the New Testament for honor is time. Tim, time. And I could always remember that because I was taught there was one thing I could do with my dad that would always win his favor. And that was to time, Tim, <laughs> to honor him. And God wants that to be the same for you and for me, to teame one another, to honor one another. And so what the church looks like here, what it does is it doesn't show favoritism. It doesn't show favoritism. But we will honor and protect everyone. We will protect each other. In verses 22 through 24, the Bible says, On the contrary, Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. Paul's just talking common sense here, right? There are certain parts of the body that are weaker, all right? Like my little pinky is maybe the weakest part of my hand, right? My little toe is the weakest part of my foot. But get rid of those things, and I'm not able to to play sports. I'm not able to run well. I'm not able to hold on to things well. God knows that the weakest part of the body is just as important as the strongest part. We don't show favoritism to each other. But, as Paul says, sometimes it seems like, right? There in verse 22, there's certain parts of the body that seem weaker by appearances, But appearances are deceptive. We have little babies in our church. They are weak. Are they any less important 
Or do we treat them with special honor? We hold them, we coddle them, we love them, we care for them. They give us excitement and joy. There are parts of our body at times that are sick. And we've gone through this as a church, where people have been very sick, where they've had problems physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally. And what have we done as a body of Christ? We have learned to care for that person. We have learned to put that person in a place where the whole body prays for them or seeks to help them, spend time with them, weep with them, care for them. And Paul is saying that is exactly the way it's supposed to be. And we need to see that God has put in the weaker part of the body here so that we might care for each other within our own physical body. The weaker parts might be the invisible parts. Do you need your liver? Do you need your stomach? Do you see them? No. But in a way, they're more important than the eye. Because you could live without an eye. But you can't live without a stomach. You can't live without a liver. God wants us to protect each other. He says certain parts are treated with special modesty. And we naturally protect and hide certain parts of the body for decency and for respect. Because otherwise, if those parts were exposed, there would be shame. And God is saying to us, you know, there's certain parts of the body that ought to be protected so that the body not be shamed. But if the body were shamed, it'd be the shame of everybody. So if one part of the body gets hurt, one part of the body gets shamed, and somebody gets embarrassed, the whole body here gets embarrassed. And so we ought to care for them. We ought to love them. We ought to help them. We ought to protect them and cover them. We ought to make sure that that doesn't happen again. We are to protect the most humble parts of our bodies. Paul is saying that is actually the most humble part of our bodies that deserve and ought to get the greatest respect out of all. You know, in our world, we give the greatest respect to all the superstars, right? But there are no rock stars in the church. There are not to be any superstars in any church. There is nobody more important than anybody else. We all have a piece in the puzzle. God wants us to care for the smallest person, the person with the greatest needs, the person with the greatest hurts, the person who might cause the body the greatest problem. Now, last week I was talking to you about my tooth, right? You know, the, the one that um, had a crack in it and that I, I, I didn't want to have the tooth removed, of course, and I was hoping that it would all work out. Well, while that tooth was hurting, the whole body hurts. Well, that tooth was uncertain. The, my, my spirit was praying for this one tooth. Like, you know, God, please let me keep the tooth. Good news is the doctor was able to save it. I got to keep the tooth. Hey, yay for God. Hey. You know, and it was real interesting because um, I don't know if my doctor's a Christian. I, I, don't, I don't think he was. Um, but as he was working on the tooth, he kept saying, you know, Curtis, I'm going to try to save the tooth. I'm going to try to save the tooth. He goes, wow, it's right on the border. I may have to, you know, have to take it to another, have, have you sent to another doctor to have it either taken out or have another procedure done on it? He goes, but I'm going to try to save the tooth. And so he worked really hard and it's still sort of sore because he worked really hard on it. And when he finished, he goes, Curtis, I did it. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, I know how you did it. You know, I had people praying for me. I was praying the whole time you were in there. Yeah. <laughs> No. God wants the weakest part, you know, the tooth, the sore tooth. 
You might be a sore tooth in the body of Christ, but we love you. All right? All right? Because someday you're going to get a crown. Ah, uh, LOL. All right. So, so God wants us, all right, to understand, okay, that we are to be combined together and care for each other. Verses, um, the second part of verse 24 to the end. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Would you say that last verse out loud with me? Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We are all the body of Christ. And what does Paul say about us as Christians? What were we supposed to be like? Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So our fourth point is this. We are not to compete with each other. We are to have an equal concern for each other. We are equals in the body of Christ. We are not to compete. Rather, we are to be sacrificial and caring for each other. We are to be sacrificing and caring for one another. God has purposely intermingled the weaker and the stronger together. In the body of Christ, there are not haves and there are not have-nots. We are one and we need each other. And we are to have an equal concern. And God has done this for our unity so that the weaker part knows it needs the stronger part. The weaker part asks for help. And the stronger part goes, I'm glad to help. And this builds unity. When we work together, we have fun. When we were down in San Diego and we were doing the Youth Works Service Project down in San Diego, the 50 of us, they were having so much fun that it gave birth to an idea. And it was just an idea that had been floating around for a while, but some of the people that were there said, we had so much fun serving together. What would it be like if we came together as a, as a family, as a whole church family, and had a retreat? and see our children working together. You're going to hear about more about that in the next couple of weeks, about a retreat that we're planning for, for 2016, so still about a year away. But that God is putting us as a family to experience, experience things together. When we sacrifice together, we went to San Diego together, we served the needy together, we cared for people together, we experienced joy together. If we don't do that, we don't experience the joy if we don't do this, if the weak doesn't come together with the strong, we don't experience that type of happiness that God wants us to have. God wants us to share with each other and to love each other so that the weak and the strong together work together. But that also means that the weak have to do their job. My little toes are holding me up right now. Our littlest person in the church still needs to do their job. The youth still needs to do their role. Everybody, no matter how little you may think your gifts are, they're important, and you are needed to serve in the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. 
And ultimately what that means is we are to be like Christ. We are the body of Christ. And ultimately that means we are to be like Jesus. Look in your outline and you see Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. And this is Jesus' attitude. This is Jesus showing us that he was sacrificing, that he was caring for you and for me. Would you read these verses out loud with me? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Let's begin. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The attitude. What's your attitude in the body of Christ? What's your attitude in your family? What's your attitude towards the church? And the Bible says it ought to be just like Jesus's, who was and is in very nature God, who is God. And he came down from his throne in heaven and he came to earth as a child, as a baby. He grew up and he served people the whole time he was alive. He never was served, but he always served others. He made himself like nothing as he gave of himself. And he humbled himself, not just to serve, but he humbled himself to die. He humbled himself to sacrifice. He humbled himself to hurt. When was the last time you sacrificed yourself knowing that it would hurt? When was the last time you sacrificed and did something at church knowing that it wasn't really what you wanted to do, but the church needed you, and so you did it? Think about that for a moment. When was the last time that somebody really needed you and it was going to be really inconvenient for you to fill in there, but you did it anyway? When were you asked to to serve and you didn't really want to, but the body needed you? And so you said yes. And how... Have you responded when somebody did that for you? What's it been like when somebody has sacrificed for you and gone out of their way and and paid a debt you couldn't pay and did something you couldn't do on your own and they did it for you? God loves us. And he's called us to be humble like that and to serve where God has made us to serve and to be where God has made us to be because we are church We are the church, and everyone is a member of it. If you look on your outline, you'll see a card there, this goldenrod piece. And um, if you didn't get an outline and you didn't get a card, raise your hand. Anybody not get one? Okay. Um, We want to just come over here and actually, see, could you help me pass them out? There's some people out there who didn't get one, and there's some people, if you didn't get a card, could you just help pass them out throughout there? If you didn't get a card, just raise your hand, and we'll get one to you, Okay. Raise your hand, and they're, they're coming. Okay. I want us to read this. Um, as I share with you, this series is inspired by a book, and the title of the book is on the back of your, your outline. Right? Um, 
And there, it's, it's the title of the book is I Am a Church Member. And so in this book, there's six chapters. And every end of every chapter, there's what he calls a pledge. And uh, he actually asks you to sign it. Um, and that can be kind of cheesy if you don't really feel like it. <laughs> so, so we're not going to ask you to do that. I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit more important. I want you to really think about this. And I want you to keep this card with you this week and read it at least once a day. I want you to think about what it says, and I want you to ask yourself, do I believe this? Do I really believe this? And will I really want to live it out? But would you read it out loud with me? It's um, pledge number one, and it begins with, I am a church member. Let's say it together. I am a church member. I like the metaphor of membership. It's not membership as in a civic organization or a country club. It's the kind of membership given to us in 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Because I am a member of the body of Christ, I must be a functioning member, whether I am an eye, an ear, or a hand. As a functioning member, I will give, I will serve, I will minister, I will evangelize, I will study, I will seek to be a blessing to others. I will remember that if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I want to close with one final caveat. And that is, as you've heard this message today, there is one way that it ought not to be ever applied. Okay, one way that it ought never to ever be applied. And that is with guilt. Now, the truth has to be spoken. The truth has to be spoken of what God's word says. And I hope that that's been explained clearly and correctly to you today. But we need you. And, and you are called to serve. You are called to be that part of the puzzle. But it ought never, ever be out of guilt that you do it. And so if you're given an opportunity to do something and you can't do it except for guilt, then I would say don't do it yet. But acknowledge that maybe it's guilt that you're struggling with. And ask God to deal with that guilt. Because maybe God doesn't want you to do that. Maybe you're just a person like me who tends to feel guilty all the time. Right? Feel like i got to do everything. Um, but then maybe God will change that guilt and turn it into desire. Because that's the best reason to be part of this body is because I really desire to do what I can. I really want to help. I really want to give. I really want to love. I really want to go beyond the call of duty. I really want to pour out my life and be like Jesus. But only because it's really what I want. So don't let guilt drive you. Ask God to change that and let you know that it's love. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. And thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your grace. Lord, you didn't come here out of guilt, and you never poured guilt on us. But you loved us, and you died for us, and you gave us your life. And Father, we pray that we might really think about that that we might be like you, and that we might love as you love, give as you give, be completed as you make us complete as the body of Christ. Remind us, Lord, all week, nobody is a nobody, and everybody needs everybody. We need you, Lord, most of all. 
You are Lord, you are head, you are Savior, you are God. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. And it is to you that we commit, and as we prayed, consecrate ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.